Well, and I do want to start today's lesson with a very cheerful statement. You are going to die. <laughs> I hope there's no debate on this one. There's no reason to fight over this one. Uh, this is a thought that we all need to deal with. We, we need to think about this, and we need to deal with it. There's one, there's one generation that won't die, those who will be alive at the return of Christ, because they will just be transformed without dying. They will, they will receive their resurrection bodies without dying. We're going to look at that in some future lesson. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 17, the Apostle Paul says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise uh, first, then we who are alive, and here it says we who are alive, he's not talking about that particular generation, those we here is those that are alive. Now, Paul was alive at a time, so he's part of the, the we. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. There is, however, no guarantee that the current generation is the generation that will see the return of the Lord. Regardless of what you might read on, on some places, there's no guarantee that this is it. Uh, if you study history, you're going to see that we don't necessarily live in the worst time ever, either. And you're also going to see that the United States is not the world. Right? It's a mistake that American Christians make. Whatever is happening in the United States is supposed to be the reflection of of an entire world. As a matter of fact, every single generation of Christians for the last 2,000 years have believed that they are the last generation before the coming of the Lord. Now, we, we, live, we do live in light of the reality of the return of the Lord with, uh, while at the same time preparing to meet Him in death. Those are, those, that's the tension of our life. We live uh, life with expectation of the return of the Lord, but at the same time preparing to meet Him in death. Now today, we are going to consider what's going on with the saints in heaven. Uh, and we'll let question 86 of the larger catechism uh, guide us through, through that. So question 86 asks, What is the communion in glory with Christ which the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death? The answer is the communion uh, in glory with Christ, which the members of the invisible church enjoy immediately after death. By the way, if you're memorizing a catechism and you can't figure out how it begins, just repeat the question, and it's, that's going to be the beginning of every catechism, almost every catechism answer. Is in that their souls are then made perfect in holiness and received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of the bodies, which even in death continue united to Christ, and rest in their graves as in their beds. And then starting here is where our denomination changed and made it to conform to our eschatological position. Till at the return of Christ they are again united to their souls and live and reign with Him upon the earth a thousand years. And then it returns to the original Whereas the soul of the wicked are at their death cast into hell, 
where they remain in torment and utter darkness, and their bodies kept in the, their graves as in their prisons until the resurrection and judgment. And then, again, where our denomination changed, of ungodly men after the millennial reign of Christ. So that's how we see the, uh, the state between death and the coming of Christ. Risa, I haven't even teaching, taught anything. <laughs> huh? Without this, those parts. Like that, if you can figure out. That's, that's, that's is how. So this is how it was before, without the reference to the millennial. So we just made it better. That's how it is, too. So. Uh, let's start with the obvious, right? We'll start with the very obvious. Heaven is for the regenerate. And you think this is obvious, but there are people who actually debate that as well. I want you to notice that the Catechism rightly says that members of the invisible church have communion with God after death. That's who has communion with God, members of the invisible church. Uh, the invisible church is a collection of the elect throughout the all ages. The invisible church are those that are truly, truly regenerate throughout all ages. It's called invisible because the exact boundaries of it are not as clear to the living. Though God knows exactly the number of those that belong to Him, we don't. So that's why it's called the invisible church. Okay? Well, it might be obvious, but it is important to state that only those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and come to faith in Christ will have fellowship with Christ. There's no other that has fellowship with Christ apart from those that have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm saying that because some have tried to make the boundaries of heaven the same boundaries of the visible church. Now, the visible church is a collection of professing Christians and their children at a particular time and represented by particular churches. So, you see the difference? The invisible church is all that are regenerated by the Lord through the ages. We don't quite know the boundary. The visible church is all those that are professing Christians and their children uh, in a particular time. It's, it's a snapshot uh, sort of thing. And some say that's really the boundary of heaven is the visible church. And I hope you see a problem with that. Do you see any problem? Let me ask you that. Do you see any problems with heaven being equal to the visible church? Well, it's not true. Uh, it's not true. Good, Jim. <laughs> yes. Yes. But could we elaborate why it's not true? Well, they're not the same. I mean... Okay, so just saying the same thing with other words doesn't... Uh, <laughs> church includes unbelievers. Correct. That's the, that's the issue, is that uh, the visible church also has unbelievers. And the Bible teaches that. For example, one place we can go is the parable of the wheat and the tear, where uh, Jesus says the, the kingdom of God, which is often a word for the church, uh, at least for this, uh, this time of, 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 uh, of the church on, on earth, is like this field, a man sold a good seed, and the seed grows, and then the, the enemy comes and, sell, and, put, and sows uh, tear, which is just weeds in the field, and the servant says, should we come and take the tear out, the weed out, and he says, no, no, because by taking some, they, they can look so much alike. 
that by pulling the weeds out, you might actually pull some wheat out. So let's wait till Judgment Day to get that figured out. So by saying that, our Lord has told us that there was going to be a measure of unbelief in the visible church all the way to the end. Are you with me on that? That uh, in any, really, in any representation of the visible church, in any particular church, you should expect a measure of, um, of people who profess to be believers but who are not in the visible church. And you can't really differentiate those from the believers. Can you think of uh, groups that might teach that the, 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 the heaven and the visible church are um, about the same? The biggest one is Roman Catholics, right? But also uh, several proponents of the Federal Vision Movement say that as well, that church membership equates membership in heaven. That if you're a member of a visible, of a local church, you're also members of heaven, and, and that becomes a, a problem as well. All right, so heaven is for the regenerate. Um, and uh, I think, I, I hope that's obvious, that only those that have believed in Jesus will go to the intermediate state where souls go between now and the resurrection. And in heaven, souls are made perfect. There's no more spiritual effects of sin, no more effects of the fall on the soul. The soul is able to commune with God in perfection. Perfection that doesn't mean... Uh, it's still, it, it's still, uh, you're, uh, the souls are still created. So perfection doesn't mean knowing everything. As a matter of fact, we're never going to know everything. If that's what attracts you to heaven, that somehow you're going to get all your questions answered and all that, I'm sorry, that's not the attraction of heaven. Jesus is the attraction of heaven. We're going to continue to be finite, and because God is infinite, we can live forever and ever for trillions of years in heaven and still not know everything that there could be known about God. But we're going to be perfect. That is, we're going to be sinless. Our souls upon death of the believer becomes sinless. And in that way, able to fellowship with God directly. Uh, the Holy Spirit in Hebrews says this, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the, and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. See, that's, that's what heaven is. The spirits of just man made perfect. In the New Testament, the word spirit and soul are talking about the same thing. Uh, just emphasizing different aspects of that, but it's the same part of humanity when it talks about soul and uh, spirit. In Revelation 14, 13, uh, uh, the apostle says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who are died in the Lord from now on. Yes, as a spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Again, the idea of fellowship and rest in heaven. And that's what Christ is doing to his church. He is sanctifying so that he can be presented with a blemish and holy and perfect church and, and uh, uh, eventually the resurrection. But meanwhile, the souls in heaven as well. Any questions on that? That the souls in heaven are made perfect. That is, they are com completely, uh, sin no longer has influence on them. They know they're completely morally perfect and able to have fellowship with God in that sense. 
All right, the next thing we see in our catechism is that the, 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 the souls behold the face of God in glory. That's part of that being made holy in heaven. Obviously not a literal seeing, since souls don't have eyes. So, but, that's the, but that's the idea that the Spirit gives us. Uh, the Scriptures speak of a closer relationship to Christ in the intermediate state. That we're closer to Christ there than we are here. Okay? Uh, Paul says in, in, Ephesians, in Philippians 1.23, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to be part and be with Christ, which is far better. Far better than what? Than the life he was currently living. Uh, Psalm 16.11 says, You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So that's the idea also of the intermediate state where there's going to be this fellowship between our souls and God, a much closer fellowship than we can have on this earth. Any questions on that? All right, the next thing that our catechism teaches is that the souls are in heaven waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. It's important that we understand how the, word, the Bible itself used the word salvation. We tend to use salvation, the word salvation, to mean that moment, moment when we believe in Jesus and we are saved, meaning that from that point on we are in fellowship with Him and then we're going to go to heaven when we die. But the Bible uses the word salvation in a much greater way to talk about the moment, from the moment of regeneration to the moment we are resurrected uh, at the coming of Jesus Christ. This is all considered salvation. And ultimately, the ultimate sign of salvation is the resurrection of the body of the righteous at the coming of of Jesus Christ. So our catechism teaches that our bodies are wait our souls are waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. The saints are waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. Uh, the the intermediate state where the souls go, heaven as we call it, from death to resurrection, is not all that there is. As a matter of fact, Paul teaches us that if that was all that there was, it wouldn't be that great. It wouldn't be that great. And the main reason is because we're made to live yeah, physical existence. We're not souls trapped in a physical body. That's not who we are. We are body and soul. We're, both of those things are part of being made in God's image, that we're body and souls. And forever, that's how we're going to uh, fellowship with God. So heaven is that, is the resurrection of, with Jesus Christ and living forever. So the, the, that's what the souls are doing in heaven. They're waiting for that time when they're going to be united to their bodies are. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 through 5, he says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, talking about the body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly designed to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. So even souls in heaven are, are groaning, with these, groaning with the desire of the resurrection. And it's not something to just be satisfied with just being floating souls. That's, that's, I don't know if that's how we do We are in heaven. But to not be embodied is not something that we want to do forever. We're waiting for that resurrection. So the souls in heaven are waiting for the day when they will be reunited with their bodies to live eternally in the new heavens and the new earth. As a matter of fact, that's the movement of all of creation. In Romans 8, Paul says, not only... 
that, but we also who, are the, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And notice that Paul completely skips the intermediate state. He's just looking for the resurrection. That's really the ultimate hope that uh, the believer has. Remember that scene in Revelation 6 where the souls are, the, John sees the souls of the martyrs under the throne of, of heaven, and what is that they ask? How long? How long to we're vindicated and we are resurrected? That's, that's the expectation of the souls in heaven. Any questions before we continue? All right. And not only our souls are united to Christ, our bodies, even in death, continue to be united to Christ. So even in the grave, the bodies are united with Christ waiting for the resurrection. Uh, and uh, uh, the bodies don't belong to somebody else. They belong to, to Christ. There's a union between the physical and Christ as well. You, would you grab a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians 15? Start at verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. I have you turn because it's a longer passage. The Apostle Paul says there, starting in verse 15, oh sorry, verse 35 of chapter 15. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases. And to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of man, another flesh of animals, another fish, another birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the, of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Notice so far. So Paul says that each body, which is a he- whether it's an animal or, he- or heavily uh, uh, body, has its own nature. The human body has its own nature, and it's that body that's going to be raised. It's not that you're going to have a different, unhuman body. You're going to have a human body, your own body, the same body that's going to be raised up on the last day as well. Uh, and he continues to show that by comparing Christ to, to Adam and so on. And uh, so the same way that Jesus has a physical resurrected body, that's the same kind of body that we are going to have, a physically resurrected body able to fellowship with God forever and ever. That's what uh, John sees in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, when he says, when he says I saw thrones and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the, their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast of, or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And then it says, and they lived, that is, they came to life 
and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So our bodies and our souls are united to Christ, our whole being. So any, any questions about the fact that our souls are waiting for the resurrection, that our bodies, excuse me, is even after death, continue to be united to Christ, waiting for the resurrection of the return of Christ. All right. Well, and then the wicked goes to hell. That's as simple as that as well. Uh, the wicked goes to hell. You know, those who died with, without Christ go to hell to wait for the final judgment at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. Um, and the, the intermediate state, this time between death and the resurrection of the wicked, uh, for the wicked is like temporary holding after the trial but before sentencing. Because Hebrews 9 says there is given to men once to die, and then what? Judgment. So they have been judged. The sentencing phase hasn't happened. You know how the American judicial system usually works, where you can be found guilty of a crime, and then you have another judicial process to decide the sentencing. Sometimes the sentences are already stipulated through statutes. Other times, the, the, either the jury or the judge figures out what the sentence would be. So if you think about the, the, the time for the wicked between death and the final resurrection, is, going, is this holding period. They've been judged, found guilty. Now they're being held to have sentencing read for them where they're going to be for the rest of their times. And we find that in Revelation 20 as well, where the apostle says there in verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Uh, it's interesting that that word live again is the same one used in verse 4 regarding the, the, uh, the righteous. So however you take it in verse 4, you have to take the same way in verse 5, just 11, verses, 11 words later. It's the same tense, the same voice, the same mood, the same number. is exactly the same word. And to say that uh, somehow in verse 4 means some sort of figurative resurrection and then in verse 5 means some sort of literal resurrection is to abandon, uh, to abandon what you've done for the rest of the Bible as far as actually Jesus is. So um, they, they will be raised at the, the end of that thousand years for judgment. Jesus said that as well. Uh, do not marvel at, the, this is John 5, do not marvel at, at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of, of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And some say, see, Jesus doesn't divide the, the resurrection. Well, he actually does. He talks about there's a resurrection of life, there's one kind of resurrection, there's a resurrection of condemnation, another kind of resurrection. Remember that the one recording this word is the same one recorded John 20, or Revelation 20, the Apostle John as well. Any questions before we continue? All right. So where, what have we learned so far? Well, we learned that when we start eschatology, it must drive us to holiness now. If when we start eschatology, all we can think about is the future and take our eyes off the present, then we're not doing it rightly. Uh, Titus says that the blessed hope of the resurrection causes us to live righteous lives now. So the hope of the future needs to cause us to serve Christ faithfully now. We've also seen that the study is missing all of there. The study of eschatology includes what the Bible says about death and beyond. 
not just something way in the future at the coming of Jesus Christ, but what happens to both the wicked and the righteous at death. And then today we saw that the soul, soul continues to exist after death in a conscious fashion in heaven and in hell. Uh, the people in heaven are aware that they're in heaven. The people in hell are aware that they're in hell. And they continue to be personalities. They have will, they have, so they have volition, they have uh, intelligence, and they have emotions, which is the three things that constitute uh, personality. Any, any questions before we close today? All right, so next Lord's Day, Lord willing, we'll look at the uh, several millennial systems that are considered orthodox. So we're going to take a look at, to just def- def- define, try to define words such as amillennialism and postmillennialism and premillennialism, and uh, so that we can then start talking about uh, which one uh, the Bible teaches, and um, we'll go from there. All right, any, any last-minute comment or question before we close? Okay, so let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you're a good God. Thank you that you've given us the blessed hope of the resurrection. And as we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, we pray that today we would live in obedience to him, a holy life, for asking in Jesus' name. Amen.